episode of Scrum for Success, and today what are we talking about, Andy? We'll be talking about a conference which was called Freedom, no, Freedom, Future, Future. Future. Well, <laughs> Web there are so many of them free, um, that was uh, taking place in Dublin, and you might be surprised why we, are, why we are talking about it in a Scrum entitled podcast or videocast, and the reason is, uh, for the web application folks, uh, Agile is kind of obvious. It, it, and I'm seeing more and more of this. I was surprised. Just two years ago, when I went to the Web 2.0 uh, conference in San Francisco, the, the number of people who weren't very familiar with some of the web technologies that, were, that are common these days, Python and Ruby, um, and the number of people who were completely unfamiliar with agile software development practices and, and, and project management practices was surprisingly high for Silicon Valley um, at a Web 2.0 conference. And I'm seeing these days, more and more conferences, the, the expectation of agile development is becoming the norm rather than the exception, which is great. Yeah, which is great. At least in this community, I think the big business is already starting to catch on, but it's not, not there yet. Whereas the startups and uh, those who do all the web apps that you use probably every day, for them, uh, doing iterations, uh, frequent releases, stuff like that is, is obvious. And that was visible in, uh, in, our, in our meetings with people there on the conference. Usually when we veered to the topic of Agile, it was, oh yeah, we do that, that's kind of natural, normal to be explained. It's interesting to see this transition taking place, something that was very novel two years ago. Now it's, oh yeah, it's obvious, we do that. Yeah. It would be exciting to see that take place in a wider software uh, world. Or give it time, give it time. We're part of the solution, I hope. <laughs> All right, so what we're going to do today is, is, is not a complete conference recap because there's going to be enough bloggers who are doing that. In fact, there's some great blogs already um, of recapping the conference. All we want to do, since we were both there last week and it's fresh in our minds, is just share some of the most, most useful lessons that we took away from it. Mm -hmm. So you can see the whiteboard behind me. Yeah, so <laughs> so we have written some points because we are getting better at this, so we are preparing. Uh, so there were two guys from Ireland, uh, sorry if I get their names wrong, but uh, Egan and Des from a company called Chromecast, and they had a very nice, very dynamic, impressive presentation about basically breaking conventions. Right. I remember they showed, they showed some websites that uh, broke with the idea of websites as being a collection of pages. They had a yeah. few websites that, that, uh, that contained a great deal of content in a single page, um, that, that book that browsing yeah. site, the, that uh, all of these, these sites have been blogged extensively, but... Um, yeah, but I mean, what I liked about their presentation was uh, not exactly the examples that they showed, because uh, I think they are pretty useless, most of them. For example, the book sites uh, misses the point that the books are not about the covers, they're about content, so they're basically about searching for a text. But, but rather than criticizing the, 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 point, the point I were making really was not in those examples, but basically in saying, you know, when you start developing an application, you have an idea, start by questioning the uh, conventions in place. And they were also making point that the conventions are not usually bad. They sometimes are very good, like, I don't know, all cars have a steering wheel, three pedals or two pedals and a lever. Maybe trying to break this convention is not a good idea. Uh, but uh, the point is, try to, I mean, think about doing things differently, and that was a very good point, and the delivery was also very good. Uh, the, only, uh, the only downside were those examples for me, especially when the next guy who walked in there uh, was Robin Christopherson, who was speaking about accessibility. Right, and, exactly. And uh, he was blind, 
getting ahead of ourselves. He couldn't see all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think that, now I've seen some of, some of Contrast's work, and in fact, we're going to be developing one of the applications that they wireframed, and they did use a lot of convention yeah, to wireframe. Right. And, and so, I think the reason that they took such a hard stance uh, against conventions in this particular uh, presentation was that if you don't, then it, 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 it takes a, a lot of work to get out of a rut, and following every convention unquestionably yeah. is a rut. So I don't think what they honestly believe is that one should always break conventions, but I do think that they honestly believe that if you follow a convention, you should have already questioned it and have a good reason for following the convention. And if I could, if I could expand just a little bit, I think the positive points that they raised, the, the two positive points about questioning conventions are one, without con questioning conventions, there can be no innovation. Yeah, definitely. And two, that there's potential great marketing advantages in questioning conventions. Because whether you do it successfully or unsuccessfully, you're likely to get a lot of press. Now, I would say that that second advantage is a bit overrated because yeah. in the end, in the end, it counts whether users will stay with you once the all the hype is over about this being a new cool thing or a new way of doing things. Indeed, but, but something you have to remember is that so many of, of the clients that we work with, so many of the startups that we work with, just trying to get their idea out there and get, get heard in, in, in the, the huge um, droning yeah, buzz trying to get noticed. Is, uh, is hard enough. And so sometimes that, that, that edge can be important. And so there's a huge risk to questioning conventions because obviously conventions work for people and they, it's, that's how they, they understand how to interact with your site. But so we, we've had occasions, I had a designer I worked with once who questioned conventions and it was very anti-Web 2.0 and I remember some of the press on launch. One of my favorite comments about uh, that project was the 80s are calling and they want their design back. <laughs> so. that's, a great, that's a great comment but uh, uh, just just to finish this, this, this up I have to say that seeing those examples I checked one of their applications I was also expecting this heavy design full of images uh, whereas this thing that is called Task 5 I believe it's a very cool design. It's very simple, very minimalistic. It's something that I and I would say we like. Something that is very minimalistic, doesn't have too much of floating graphics, no flash, or at least very small doses of it, stuff like that. So, I mean, I understand uh, them trying to really get a point across. Uh, that is important. Uh, mm -hmm. Think around the ways think, uh, things are being done right now, because otherwise you are not innovating. You are basically trading after someone. This might be a very good business decision, by the way, but it has to be conscious. That just the, 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 I think this is the way to do it. And you'd mentioned the next, next presentation, yeah, which I also thought was very, very uh, interesting. His name was Robin Christofferson, and he's involved in a, a non-profit organization in the UK that's Called this... AbilityNet. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. AbilityNet, and uh, their role is, is encouraging and advising companies in making their web applications accessible for people who access the web in non-traditional ways, non-standard ways. Um, and, and using his statistics, this represents roughly 10% of all web users who are, um, as a result of one disability or another, accessing the web through something other than the traditional browser experience that most websites are built for. Yeah, and that was very interesting because, uh, first of all, he, he was actually uh, blind. So this was not the case of someone telling us with colorful slides, how to do slides for those full uh, disabled. He was actually the user of those things. 
and he presented a few things that were really amazing, uh, sometimes in a negative way. For example, his description of uh, his experience with the Google Captcha, that was really a horror. That was, by the way, the first time I heard their, their audio captcha, because all the time I was seeing those uh, sign-up screens, and I was saying, oh, well, they can blind a cover, they can listen to the, uh, to the audio web version, but I never did listen to it. It's so horrible, the guy has a point. I mean, trying to get into such an app is really uh, ridiculous, but the, the, main, the main, I think, benefit of seeing him there was that uh, he kind of brings that perspective back, because we tend to forget it. We tend to forget about it. When we do CAPTCHA, we kind of excel at making it hard and difficult because we think only of spammers. We don't think of those we heard with it. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, generally, we forget about uh, the labels when we do sites. As a result, I'm leaning more towards logical CAPTCHAs. CAPTCHAs yeah, that use natural text. And just present logical problems. That was a, that was a, great, that was a great idea. The, the other thing, something that he didn't say, which occurred to me after his presentation, he, obviously, he said that 10% of all people who are accessing the internet are accessing it, accessing it through, through non-standard browser technologies. But the implication there is that if you don't make your web application accessible to a disabled audience, you're losing 10% of the, the potential audience. But I think that the real opportunity is much bigger than that. There are so few web applications that are made accessible to a disabled audience that if you do an excellent job of making your application accessible to a disabled audience, you might find that you have a great, great deal more disabled people utilizing your site. So whereas 10% of all users might be disabled, yep. you might actually find that, that if you do a good job of making your site accessible, that much larger than 10% of your users are disabled. Yeah, but I would users. say that making your site accessible, first of all, in the first level of that, beyond getting into any special technologies or making a special version of the site, basically not overdoing on graphics and following standards, mm -hmm. which so few don't do actually. Indeed. Uh, and it also, it also has another dimension which is much bigger, I think, that, uh, than disabled, which is people in poor countries who are using computing technology from a few years back, which means their browsers uh, run on computers that are not powerful enough to display all the fancy flash animations. Basically, that brings their, their computer to a halt. Not to mention the large numbers of people now who, who, whose first experience with the web is on a handheld device. Oh yeah, that's, that's, that's another huge, huge world. But you see, that this is the value of his, his presentation, that, that brings uh, different points of view that we don't necessarily consider every day when we do our apps. Now, another was uh, Matthew Ogle from uh, Last.fm, and I was really glad that I could meet someone from uh, Last.fm. Mm -hmm because I've been using the Scrabbler and, and Last.fm station for years now, so it was nice to, to meet someone. Uh, but uh, his presentation was basically a his history of their, of their desktop applications feeding into their web, web service. Indeed, which, which from their point of view, and, and the presentation was solely from their point of view, it's, it's all he really knew, but uh, I think it, it, it draws attention to an opportunity which many web entrepreneurs might consider, and that is alternate ways of driving traffic into to, to the web application, and certainly one of them is using a desktop application. It doesn't apply to everyone, yeah. but, it, but it's something to keep in mind, that, uh, that there, there are a lot of branches for driving traffic and, and, and driving value. Yeah, but uh, it's not only driving traffic, but it's also uh, kind of collecting data that creates value in the first place. Because the whole last of experience is based on data collected from users. Without it, it's not possible even. And it's easier than ever now with, with technologies like Adobe Air to, for web developers to create desktop applications. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't think he was very enthusiastic about Adobe Air. 
No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. But I'm but excited I mean, about the, it. His main point was basically uh, look beyond the web if you're a web developer um, and see whether you can do something on the desktop, which doesn't have to be a desktop version of your web app. It might be some companion that brings additional value, brings additional traffic. And it's, of course, uh, useful to the users. They had this very nice uh, beta, which was called Buffin, I believe, which uses the data stored on Lastfm servers to catalog the music that you have on your disk and oh, yes, supply all the missing bits, uh, all the da metadata that you probably miss from your old files, everything you have in all your repertories, all the uh, proper right classification on the year-released album data, stuff like that. Very nice app. Didn't work for him on the demo, probably because the net was flaky at the conference, but I downloaded it later, it was, it was fun. I've got to play with that. What was that called again? Boffin. Boffin? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then, of course, there were a number of presenters who, who were successful web entrepreneurs who were, at, as you have it at every conference, talking about how they built their business, how they built their company, and sharing the lessons learned. And um, I think we agreed to, that, that we could generalize these to some extent. One of the things that I notice is that anytime you meet somebody, uh, in, in most occasions where I've met somebody, who is a, a web entrepreneur or an entrepreneur of any sort, really, who's had one really big success and, and talks about it. I think it's inspirational to hear such lessons, but so commonly, people who have had one big success are, are utterly convinced that, that their route to success is a guaranteed, successfully workable one that everyone should use. And why shouldn't they be, by the way? And, well, because, and I think it's for this reason, that that you cannot extract the entrepreneur from the business. The businesses are a reflection of the personality and skill sets of an entrepreneur. A highly um, introverted individual is not going to build a business the same way that David Hanemeyer Hansen, who is about the, as, as far from introverted as you can possibly get, yeah. would. Which doesn't mean that he cannot be build a business. He just probably should follow some different path mm. to that. So to some extent, I, I, I think that entrepreneurs can, can gain a lot of, of inspiration and, and pick useful tidbits from the stories of successful people who have gone before. But entrepreneurship wouldn't be so, so exciting if it was formulaic. To some extent, everybody has to find their own way. Yeah, that, that is certainly true. But uh, on the other hand, I think that that's the only thing they can honestly offer. Because they are not management experts. They have not analyzed, for example, people who wrote the book. They analyzed 20 companies or 40 companies or 400 companies. And they have some points. Again, you can argue about the validity, but they are doing some research. And they can generalize. Those people, they can honestly tell their own story. And that's what they do. Uh, and I think many of those who are in the audience are people who would like to be in their place and are coming there, maybe not for exact uh, prescription on success, but maybe just to get this kind of uh, inspiration. And it's all fine with it, as long as, uh, as people remember that probably the road that take uh, whoever was there to their, to their success might not be right for me and might not be repeatable even in the current situation, current technology and current, current world. Which brings us to another point, which, which is something that was uh, kind of bugging me during this conference, and that is a huge contrast between the conference and the world outside, in, especially in Ireland, which is undergoing a very severe crisis right now. And there was uh, taxi drivers' protests the day we arrived, 
uh, and all kinds of signs around the city that show that the times are not as good as they used to be. Um, and sometimes the feeling was a bit surreal. It was like we stepped back in time and the conference was taking place in 2006 at the head of the bubble when everything could have frozen. But, you know, but there's, there's one interesting point to that, which is uh, why I, I like uh, Hans's presentation so much. Uh, despite his bashing of the real world concept, he was basically bringing that real world in by saying, you have to do something useful. Mm -hmm. The days of cheap, uh, cheap right to the top through venture capitalists and making free apps that don't do anything useful or necessary are over, and you have to do something that basically people will be willing to pay for from day one. And that's a very, very important message because playing with, with apps is very easy, it's very nice. Um, and uh, oh, I just recall that there was, there was a kind of prophecy on that by Tim O'Reilly, who in the late 90s he said, the advent of those easy web technologies will bring the power of publishing and creating content on the net to people who are completely non-technical. And those easy technologies back then was PHP. Okay, right now we have lots more. And we see that effect taking place. There were many people who were there even, they didn't have purely technical computer science rules. They just learned along as they developed their businesses. But the point is, make something useful. Okay? It's so easy now. So and monetize it. And monetize it because people are playing with all that technology. It's usually open source, it's free, it doesn't cost much. And it's easy to forget you are basically setting up a business. And a business um, has to deal with its, its dirty M word, money. Mm -hmm. Right? And that, 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 was, uh, that was really interesting in his, in his very extrovert, as you put it, very nice presentation as well. Indeed. Well, that sounds like a, a pretty complete wrap-up of, of uh, a very exciting, very fun one-day Not very detailed one, though, but uh, we think others did that way better than we did. And at the end, we hope Carsonified will release the complete content. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, of course, everything at the, at the photo conference was recorded, even though the, the video camera broke down in the middle. Somebody produced a flip video camera, and they managed to catch the rest of the content. So it should only be a matter of time before uh, all the audio and video from the the event is on the Carcinified website. So listen for yourself and make your own opinion on it. Alright, and thanks for listening to us. Till next time. Bye.